Okay, well, we'll dive straight into it. Thank you so much uh, for having me. Um, so I'm recording this so that we can listen to it over and over again. Um, it's really a lot of practical stuff taken from various church plants that we've done and things that we've learned. And um, it's something where I'd like to share this at the start of various church plants that we do. Um, and so I'm going to just share. And then from there, after I've shared, we can then go into discussion. So please just note down any questions you have, anything you want to build on. And uh, I'm going to speak fast, so hopefully you can listen fast. Uh, it's 24 reasons why church plants fail and how to avoid these. Okay. When the church in Pretoria East started, I shared this with them. I won't take, tell you how long I took. I'm going to try and be quicker this time around. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise master builder and someone else is building on it. But each one must be careful how he builds. This is a very important principle. So right now we're building, we're co-laboring with God. But the Bible says each one, not just whoever's the leader, each one must be careful how he builds. Okay. So, we, so there's a way God wants us to build, but we have to be careful how we build. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So every single thing we do, everything we preach on, every offering message we do, announcements, worship, everything we are doing, we're laying a foundation. We're laying a foundation. And the Bible says, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we must make sure when a church is being established that all these tips I'm going to share with you, they must be Christocentric. Christ must be at the center of everything. If we go a number of weeks and Jesus isn't being mentioned and the gospel isn't being communicated, then there's a problem. You know what I mean? We can talk about parenting. We can talk about marriage. We can talk about careers. But the gospel must be central. Christ must be central in everything that we do. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 5 to 7 says, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? This is, this is so important. What is Apollos, what is Paul? Right? They're servants through, through whom you believed, as the Lord has assigned each his role. Okay? I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So God must get the glory for everything that we do. I just want to lay these scriptures as a foundation before I share the practical tips. So guys, I remember one particular church plant, in fact, before the centurion one, and my prayer was, Lord, whatever happens, may no one person get the glory or take the credit. Vim has just been sharing with me about a particular person um, from her workplace who just would hardly thank people and would always take the credit for everything, you know? So we want a culture where, yes, we appreciate each other. Yes, we honor each other. And I'm going to do a series on honor, the technology of honor. Everything is technology of honor. But the point is, I'll do a series on that because we need to have that in our culture. But ultimately, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? What then is Paul? What then is Wimbai? 
what then is shown, what then is ishe, right? They are servants through whom you believed, as the Lord has assigned to each his role. I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God was the one who made it grow. So we can't look at each other and think, my role is more superior than you, your role. You know what I mean? God has assigned roles to us, and it's important that we stick to those roles and we recognize that he's the one who makes it grow. We can't do what we're trying to do if we don't have the sound guys, the technical people. We can't do what we want to do if we don't have someone who's you know, doing what Sunera has been doing in the background, coordinating, organizing things. And there's a lot that's hap that happens in the background. You know what I mean? And you'll find that people will come to church and they'll just suddenly see, oh, these wonderful banners, you know, or they'll see, oh, this wonderful pulpit. It looks very nice. But there's a lot that goes on in the background to getting it. Sunera knows what I'm talking about. All right. Um, so neither he who plants no, he who waters is anything. I'm nothing. We are nothing, right? But only God who makes things grow, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 11 to 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 11 to 17. Another powerful um, scripture. For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul and I of Apollos and I of Cephas, that's Peter, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. You know, when people take scriptures out of context, there's certain people who practice a certain lifestyle and some of them might say, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. Because, you know, Paul endorsed it because look, he baptized Gaius. Nah, jokes. It's just a joke I'm thinking. Anyway, so that no one would say, you are baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. So another foundation that we see here is we mustn't be sectarian, and I'll touch on that in a while. You know, it's so easy when churches are planted and so on, instead of Christ being the one who brings us all together, it becomes this thing of like, we've got so-and-so and we've got so-and-so and we like so-and-so style, you know? People become like that because people are looking for heroes. There's something in human nature where we're looking for heroes, you know? Um, so let's be mature, you know? Yes, I might be doing most of the preaching and teaching and so on, but other people might come. Other people come and minister on this and do this and do this. Let's never get into this thing of like, ah, oh, this is my favorite one and I prefer this one and this is what. It just causes division, okay? Just causes division. So with that as a foundation, as foundation scriptures, I want to share with you 24 reasons I've seen that cause church plants to fail and what we, and what we must do to avoid that. Num reason number one, not relying on Jesus, the master builder, right? Building on a different foundation, okay? That's a biggie. Reason number two, sectarianism, the spirit of division. 
the spirit of division. A lot of church plants actually happen because of division. So you'll find that a lot of people who end up being part of a church plant, it's because they didn't like the church they were part of before, right? And that's where we must watch out, guys. We must watch out for this because there are people who are going to join our church, right? And why it's important to actually interview them is to find out one of the main reasons we ask when we do considering membership, to find out how did you leave? Did you leave properly? Because you see, if someone comes, um, they'll come. If they're in a bad place, in a place of bitterness, sometimes we get flattered by it. It's, I've ha had it happen as a pastor where they'll be like, but you know what I like about you? You're so different. You're down to earth. Those other guys, hey, you know, they really stuck up and they really like this. Now, if I was insecure, I would then be like, oh, okay, you like me, hey? You like my style, right? But that's where we actually have to say, listen, dude, don't try and impress me. Firstly, I don't need you to flatter me. And the fact that you're bad-mouthing all the other guys from before actually is telling me something about your character. Okay, so just be warned, it will happen. That kind of thing does happen, okay? And people who've, um, who carry that spirit of division, sometimes they come in and then they cause it here. Very subtly. They first come and they're very positive about the vibe here. Three months down the line, that demon that, that works through them to cause division, it flares up. It's not there at the beginning. At the beginning, ah, and we'll be thinking, wow, this guy is amazing. Yeah, he's such a brilliant guy. He's a sound engineer. Hey, Isha, he can really help you and so on. Six months down the line, that thing raises its head and literally it splits churches, eh? And sometimes it's just one or two people carrying that spirit, okay? So as the church plant team, let's be mature about it to notice it and to deal with it, okay? Because it's very subtle. Um... One of the things we were, we were working on, uh, we were dealing with is in the church in Highfelt, there's someone who's been praying for people during like worship and stuff, you know? So when Sunera first saw it, she thought that maybe it was someone else praying for her. Because if you just see two people standing, you don't quite know who's praying for who, you know? But then what happened was that she started now trying to pray for Sunera and was just touching in ways that Sunera didn't feel comfortable and stuff like that. And so fortunately, Salian intervened, you know, people intervened and so on. But the point I'm making is, I then said, wait a minute, but there shouldn't be any ministry going on during praise and worship. Because that's how division also comes in, because sometimes someone with a spirit of pride will think that their personal ministry overrides the corporate ministry. You get what I'm saying? So again, guys, in the church services and so on, there needs to be order. If you see someone starting to minister to someone else in some corner and so on, just recognize that the attitude there often is whatever I'm doing right now is more important than what you all have organized. That's really what's being communicated. And what you just do is you, you're gentle with the people. Because some people come from backgrounds where, you know, the worship setting is we're just soaking and... If, if someone is crying over there, needs ministry, let them be ministered to. If this is going on, there are places for that. But it has to be under the direction of the leadership. It can't just be, this is what I feel like doing right now, you see. And we need ushers who are strong on those kinds of things. You can't be a people pleaser who's kind of like, I know it's okay, uh, let's just, we don't want to offend anyone. You know, you have to be 
over that. You have to be beyond that and say, excuse me, ma'am, um, can you just please um, carry on with worship? That's what we're doing. We're not doing this right now, you know? I know churches where some people start prophesying stuff. There's one church in LA. Um, I won't say which one it is, but a lady started was up there and she was now prophesying and then she starts saying negative things about, you know, like the pastor's son had taken over and he was now the pastor of the church. And I think she wasn't too happy with that or something and started speaking negatively about this person in her prophetic word. <laughs> and they just say in front of everyone, okay, okay, my sister, I think you're getting into the flesh now. Okay, just, you know. And we have to be, and, the, and this is a test for people. It's a test for people because if people get offended easily by those things, it reveals what's in their heart, that they're not teachable, you know. Um, anyway, we can talk a lot about that. So let's be careful. You kill this by creating a culture of representational leadership, not substitutional. You kill the spirit of di division that way. And I think I've taught on it recently, right? Representational leadership, all leadership is delegated. So if I say, Sunera, you're in charge of this, run with it. And then she's trying to do stuff, but then people don't respect her or people are resistant. Okay, it hasn't happened yet, but I'm just saying, right? Um, that means you're not respecting me, first of all, right? Because all authority is delegated. If I say, yeah, no, so we want you to do um, such and such an offering message, you know? Sean, we want you to do communion and so on. If I'm speaking and people are listening glued like this, and then Sean is speaking and people are like, <laughs> like this, then you're not respecting the leadership that has been delegated. Does that make sense? Okay. If Ishe says, sorry, guys, um, can you please not stand on the cables? We need to protect our cables. But because it's Ishe who's saying it, you're like, ah, right? We're not respecting represent, um, delegated authority. Now, some people end up substituting themselves. Instead of representing their leaders, they substitute themselves. What do I mean by that? I remember in one particular church, in a particular cell group, a situation where the people in the cell group were complaining about the pastor's messages and saying, ah, oh, we don't believe that, we don't believe that. Then the cell group leader was agreeing with them. Yeah, also, me too. I also disagree with that. He's no longer representing his leaders. He's now representing himself. So it's called substitutional leadership. Does that make sense? There will be times when uh, we disagree because people have minds. You know what I mean? We're not kids. And so what's important is for us to create a culture of dialogue, you know? And that's why I like to say to people, read up on this, let's talk about it. Read up on that, let's discuss it. Let's engage. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? Just remember when it comes to doctrine, there are many teachings out there. You know what I mean? There's strong teachings against spanking, for example. So even though we believe in it, there's strong teachings out there. There's strong resistance. You know, Andrew Selly, uh, who leads one of the churches in Cape Town, uh, Joshua Generation, the church that um, uh, old what's the name used to be part of, Merciful and Charlton, etc. Great church. He's a great apost young apostolic leader and so on, you know. And um, there was a whole issue because he was teaching on spanking and so on. So just remember some of these things. That's why sometimes even when I'm preaching, um, in certain contexts, I'll talk about it, but you'll notice even when I'm preaching from the pulpit, sometimes if I want to pick my battles, I'll sort of say, yeah, and then there's certain means we use and so on. You know, I'll say things like that, partly because I don't want to just, you know, I'm picking my battles for that moment. Other times when we're teaching on it, we go all out, okay? You will meet Christians 
in the church, Christian leaders, I've heard some of the comments coming out from some of the people in our church, actually, that are quite anti-spanking, just so you know, when you talk about it, right? Ah, no, I can't be. And that's where we have to be clued up about these things with the word of God to actually say, but this is what the Bible says, you know? Um, this is a valid biblical thing. We're not trying to please society. We're not trying to be PC as a church. I believe this church is going to be counterculture, going against the grain. Anyway, so in terms of the spirit of, of division, it's so important to come with representational leadership, not substitutional. Okay, Some people will flatter you to make you proud by comparing you to your leaders. It's going to happen, guys. You'll have people who come and um, let's say we say, um, you know, hey, saw so you preaching today, you know, and then Tso does this thing, you know, with sense of humor, you know, his Tso way. You'll have a guy come and say, like, hey, but Tso, why don't they get you to preach more? Hey, but we like your style. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to know then what to answer the person, but then you'll have to guard your heart also. You know what I mean? Because sometimes people will say things and after a while, be like, yeah, why don't I? I was talking to a guy in our church and he was saying to me, I had coffee with him the other day and he was saying, Pastor I can see you quite particular about certain things and so on. And I said to him, I'm actually very flexible about a lot of things, but the things that are really important, I'm particular about. So I said, you know, um, it was some guys who had done stuff like, you know, in the church, etc. I said, you know what, I said to you guys, go for it. Sort out this, fix that, do this, and so on. I didn't, like, I wasn't micromanaging you. I'm very flexible about that. But when it comes to who preaches from the pulpit, I give the guys feedback. Pastor Vim will tell you, you know, it's usually very encouraging feedback and so on. But I'm very specific about that because that's a responsibility. Does that make sense? I've said to my wife, my love, you know what? Don't get caught up with doing stuff on the ground when you do ladies and so on. If ladies come to you and they say, we want to help, you know, with that event or sort out this, let them run with it. You know, you know, this church plant, you've got people who are coming and saying, can we do this? We want to organize this. Can we do flowers? Can we do this and so on? Yes, go for it. We're not going to micromanage, say what type of flowers and so on. But I can tell you right now, uh, when it comes to um, the, the word, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to all these things, I've said to Pastor Vim, when it comes to who lands worship and so on, identify people, coach them, groom them and so on. It, it's important for us, those kinds of things. So with the one, the one individual, I know they speak, the person speaks well, etc. And I said, okay, we'll groom you. We'll groom you. We'll get you to do offering messages first. We'll get you to do this, get you to do that. The point I'm making is the spirit of pride is often very closely linked with the spirit of division. In the in the church in, in Centurion, I used to see a pattern. There was a days there were days in about 2014 where there was a spirit of rebellion, and we had seen it in the spirit, seen stuff around, and so on. Spirit of rebellion and stuff. I can call it rebellion. Often it's linked to pride. I noticed the pattern that whenever negative things were being said about us or about the church. You know, sometimes there's always a common denominator. It's like, how come that person is always in that conversation? How come that person is always in that thing? You know? Uh, but, but it's when there's brokenness that that thing is then broken off, people. Okay, so make sure you're whole and secure. This is very important as, as a leadership team. Otherwise, gossip kicks in, division kicks in. Does that make sense? 
Okay. The third one, third thing that causes church plants to fail, emotional attachment to positions. What we say to people in church plants is always hold everything like this with your, with your hands open like this, never like this. So we could say, hey guys, we need to do youth outreach into the schools, you know? So that's your passion. We want you to run with it. And we'll say that and he runs with it and so on. But he must never be attached to it. Because there'll come a time when two years down the line, I'm seeing that, you know what? He actually is carrying something that's going to influence the political world. Let's transition him to this other thing. And then there's someone else who comes in whose main focus in life, calling everything, is youth. He must just hold it like this. And, that's, and we, we, we prepare people that way. If you look at the church again in Centurion and so on, you'll see that people have changed roles. Some people who started off doing a particular thing aren't doing it anymore, right? Different people who are running with things. Don't hold things tightly. Trust God and trust us. Trust the leaders, you know, that maybe they're seeing something that I'm not seeing. And when we've got a good attitude with that, it's amazing what happens. This is important in church plant situations because often a church plant, you have one person doing three different things, right? That's the challenge of the church plant, you know? You have one person doing three or four different things. So ultimately, we want people to focus on the areas of strength. So when the church is small, yes, you can do it. And even though you might be doing it at 70% or 65%, it's like, cool, it's fine. As we grow bigger and now our influence is wider, we might say, hey, my sister, I think, you know, we know this isn't your area, but thank you. You've helped us for the first couple of years. But yeah, no, uh, I think you must just let go of this and focus on this area. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so in, in terms of emotional attachment to positions, this is not just people in a church plant team. It's even the lead pastors. Even the people pastoring the church sometimes have to let go. You know, I'm in a season now where I won't be able to be at, in Centurion all the time. Right? I will be going to other places. This, this Sunday, someone else will be preaching and they will be doing the live feed to, you know, like I was speaking to Lysias, I was communicating with them earlier on today and they'll be tuning in. So they'll be listening to Stuart as he preaches and so on. I'll be live here you know what i mean so even for us it's it's roles that are changing and to be honest with you as we plant more and more churches my role will probably shift quite a bit you know there'll be more lead pastors in the various churches etc so we can't get overly attached to people and styles and that kind of thing make sense okay um, in scripture, we see how Timothy and others did not pastor one church for, the, for their whole lives. Okay, it's fine to do this. And a lot of the largest churches in the world, uh, there's a correlation between the largest churches in the world and the longevity of the pastor. You know what I mean? If you look at the largest churches in the world, they've had that one pastor for years and years and years type of thing, right? But that's not necessarily our goal, right? The way we're building, it's, it's very apostolic. I think you can see that in terms of establishing works and releasing leaders, okay? So I'm not going to be behind the same pulpit every single Sunday, you know? And people who are overly emotionally attached, they just need to get over it and let go, okay? Um, it's fine to do this, just, you know, having that one pastor. Um, but when it's good for a pastor to move on, then you must let them. 
Okay. Um, some pastors are also good for the life stage of the church. And that's also very important. Some pastors are good for that life stage of the church. So sometimes you'll, you'll find someone is very good when a church is being birthed, like the first two years of a church. Okay. So if I look at myself and my passion and so on, I like that, you know, in terms of the birthing process, etc. Some people, you'll find that they'll struggle planting a church. They don't have that breakthrough anointing to actually plant. But you know what? Get them to pastor that church and be a lead pastor when that church is three years old. They're organized. They're more organized than many of us. They're organized. They're good at putting systems in place and so on. Okay? But then maybe when you want to grow to a next level, you might need someone else. So as we establish churches, people mustn't be emotionally attached to where they're at. Make sense? The fourth one, fourth reason why church plants fail and what we can do about it, trying to do everything that the sending church did. This is a big one. And what I often say is rather do a few things well than trying to do everything at a mediocre level. Okay? Be clear about what you will do for now. It will save you lots of money too. Okay? So a big mistake often made in church plants, people's mindset is, ah, our sending church, we had a women's ministry, we had this, we had this, we had this. We don't need to do all of that, you know? We don't need to do all of that. As the church grows and as leaders are developed, then we will see the need for a particular thing, okay? Sometimes you'll find people literally cut and paste everything, copy and paste Okay, let's look, even with websites, let's look, where all, what are all the ministries and all the departments in the sending church? Yeah, but that sending church is eight years old or nine years old or 10 years old. Okay, then they copy and paste, right, yeah. Uh, who's part of, young adults. Now, most of us are young adults. So why do we need a young adults department? You know what I mean? <laughs> We've seen it happening, right? And then everyone is spread thin and... Um, there's something going on every day. So what we found is it's good to be minimalist in terms of number of meetings that we have, you know. And that's why sometimes we have to resist the pressure. Because you'll find, for example, if people are used to doing certain things like, so are you guys having a, a vigil uh, on the 31st of December? Are you guys having this? Are you guys having... They want to put their church culture in terms of where they came from onto us. Just guard your heart in terms of that. So often I just say like, you know what? Not yet, because all the volunteers are finished. They're tired, you know? When we take through that three weeks break at the end of the year, who's, who's the most excited? It's the volunteers, yeah? It's like all the kids ministry people, whew, ah, whew, I can breathe, right? So just be careful. People will come and they'll try and impose whatever they're used to in their church culture and they assume you must do it. Fact of the matter is, there's some Christmases where we have a Christmas tree. Other Christmases, we don't have a Christmas tree. You know, some people get so rigid. It's not Christmas unless there's a Christmas tree. And there must be this and there must be this. Get over yourself, please. Honestly. Okay. Um, so it will also save you a lot of money. Uh, Vim will be able to tell us this, but when you've got many departments, 
fighting for the same resources. Fortunately, there's no fighting that happens in our church. I think our church is cool, actually. There's actually quite a lot of peace. A lot of things pastors often struggle with. We don't struggle with. You know, pastors, I think it's because pastors have too many meetings sometimes with department heads. Yeah, because, Paul, everyone is fighting over resources, you know. Children's ministry needs this. And then the, the missions department needs that. We don't really have that. But the point I'm making is when you've got lots of departments, each of them has a vision of what they want to do. And then you're spending, and you're spending, you're spending. So don't try to do everything that the sending church did. Rather do what God has called you to do in this season. Number five, another reason why church plants fail is inwarditis. We have to be so careful of inwarditis. Inwarditis is, this, is a disease where we're looking inward instead of outward. Okay? In other words, we're not strong on evangelism. We have to be very careful about that. And the thing I found unique about this team is that a lot of you have that heart to reach the lost. Okay? But you know that that heart can be lost. Excuse the pun. It can literally be lost because what tends to happen is we become a holy huddle and we enjoy each other's company. And the moment like newbies come in, it like affects the dynamic, especially for the people who are more introverted. Just think about it. Like right now we're familiar with each other. There's a way we joke, you know, we connect and so on. Next Josie Friday, because there are lots of people who are going to come on Sunday, hey? Next Josie Friday, there'll be people phoning up. Yeah, so, so where are we meeting? Where is it happening? Oh. Then now you've got six other people here. And then you find there's one that talks too much. There's one that will park off there on the corner and start sharing their revelation with everyone. And then you're all looking uncomfortable because you're like, hey, do, this person is preaching at us. Do they know that we're also quite clued up type of thing, wherever they come from? And one of the things about church plants you'll notice is you have to, the church plant team has to have a strong culture in terms of this is how we do what we do. Because guys, if we don't, you'll find guys, I promise you, you'll find guys coming, especially if it's a lot of people in terms of influx of numbers. If you study the, the science behind how culture is created, often it's created when newbies come in, right? And that's why sometimes we have to be strong and just say, it can seem rude, but sometimes we say, no, here, this is what we believe. And that's why it's going to be so important in the birthing of this church to be very strong in terms of things like rebuild, considering membership class, those types of things. Because you guys have been part of this church for some time. You know the culture. You know the, the dilly, you know. Um, so let's watch out for that, okay. And when you're leading a small group, don't be afraid of actually saying to people, guys, for the first few weeks, we're just going to be covering this and this and this. Um, yes, share with us your ideas. If someone comes and starts saying things as law to you that aren't really law, it's just their opinion, tune them out from the very start. It will seem like you're being harsh, but it preserves what God is trying to birth. Does that make sense? Okay. The moment you relax and oh, we don't offend, that's where this thing will take over and you'll regret it. You will regret it. Okay. Um, so, the point here was actually inwarditis, okay? The tendency to look inward and not reach the lost. We need to be getting out there. We need a culture of evangelism. Um, often it doesn't happen because leaders aren't actually evangelizing. So it becomes something we just talk about. And that's why you'll see on Sunday, oh, I must actually bring the stuff from, the, from my boot, actually. I must pass it on to Sunni or someone. Um, we've got, 
you guys have already got the invite cards, okay? And I think people are already distributing them, which is awesome. It's just good for evan evangelism, invitational evangelism. I've uh, got contact cards to stay in touch with people, um, people that come and they visit. Very often it takes about seven touches eh, before someone is fully in. And maybe next Josie Fridays I'll share on that, just in terms of that type of assimilation. So you can come and you visit a church for the first time, okay? But sometimes... For you to stick, you need six more touches. Someone calling you, someone sending you a WhatsApp, someone then the next time you come asking and praying with you, someone then before you're fully plugged in. Okay. Number six, lack of clarity. Often church plans fail because people don't really know like what's our vision? Why are we doing this? Why another church? And this is a question each person in this room needs to be able to answer. If someone asks you on Sunday, why another church plant? Like, why are you guys doing this? Are we able to answer? We're starting a church in Joburg because we need to build community in Joburg. And Joburg has unique giants that need to be slain. <laughs> right? Um, we need to be able to answer them. So in terms of lack of clarity, I'm talking about no clear vision or unique selling points. What's unique about our church? That needs to be clear. What's, what's unique about you? What's unique about Go people? What is, what, why Go? You know? What type of church do we want to plant? Who are we targeting? Are we just like, well, let's preach and whoever comes, comes? Or do we kind of have a sense of these are the kind of people we want to reach? Right? One of the things that we're very passionate about is leadership. We want to release leaders. So we want to get people who are potential leaders, release them so that they can end up having platforms to lead other people. Okay? That's just one of our things. Um, how is our church governed? Is, you know, what's the degree of autonomy? That's another thing I have to be clear about. You know? For example, if you look at the Pretoria East Church, there's quite a high degree of autonomy. Right? That, that that congregation has. Whereas at the moment with Joburg, it's like a campus, right? Um, stemming out of, of Centurion. So technically speaking, I'm pastoring two churches, if that makes sense, okay? That's how it is um, at the moment, okay? What's the degree of autonomy, uh, eldership, those kinds of things, okay? If we don't clarify our wins, strong personalities come up with their own wins. You know, you'll have people coming up and saying, I'm really passionate about Christian education. Pastor, we need to start a Christian school. Now, sometimes some pastors, they crumble at that point. Like, okay, you've got that vision. My brother, run with it. You know, and then, and then the Christian school now becomes a distraction. Yeah, so, and that's all you talk about. That's all we, are, we do in announcements and everything. Okay, it's just something to think about, right? That's where you have to say, my brother, you know what? Right now in this season of the church, that's not what we're doing. But brother, if that's your vision, there's the church across the street. They're big on that. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Okay? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, 
So it's important to actually be able to do that and not to be shy about it. Because I promise you that person you're trying to keep because you're trying to grow the church, they then become a cancerous cell in the church. Because they'll come and they'll be like, we're not doing enough of this. We're not doing enough of that. We need to be doing more of this. We need to be doing more of that. Says who? Are you the visionary? If that's your vision and that's the thing you emphasize, that's cool. Now, there are times when people will say that and I'll say to them, you're right, we do need to be doing more of it. But there are other times when I'm thinking, I think you should start your own church and have that emphasis if God has called you to that. Okay? Um, so there needs to be clarity. Uh, sometimes the culture is not clear because you're swamped by diverse groups from diverse backgrounds and you're trying to keep them happy. Please don't, let's not be people pleasers. Okay? Uh, don't compromise in who you allow to shape the culture of the church. There's a lot of compromise at the start of church plants stemming from desperation to keep people. So you know yourselves. We know our personalities. If you're the kind of person who likes to, who, who struggles to say no to people and so on, just deal with that because it's not like a noble spiritual thing. Jesus didn't call us to be nice. He called us to be kind. There's a difference between being nice to everyone and being kind. Does that make sense? Okay. The seventh one is lack of balance with regards to external input. This is very important. There's certain things a church plant should do on its own. So when a church is a fully fledged church, it must become self-governing. In other words, it's got its own eldership making decisions. It's not, it's not ruled by something external, something outside of it. Okay, we don't believe in that. Where you've got someone who isn't part of the church and remote control, they're controlling everything. Okay, we don't believe in that. It, it must be self-governing, self-financing. So as much as possible right now, as the money is available, basically when it comes to purchasing stuff and so on, we're using the money that's in that in the account for Josie. Okay. With some of the bigger items and so on, like some situations, for example, I got some contact cards, 500 of them, uh, organized in Centurion. I thought to myself, you know what, you guys don't need all 500 right now. I'll give you guys 250. 250 will go to the church in Highfelt. That was paid for from the Highfelt side of things. Okay. If we come to a place where right now we might say we need to have a video camera, our own video camera, this side is going to cost. 40,000, you know what I mean? That will probably come from the high felt from Centurion account. Does that make sense? Okay, but the ongoing operational stuff that we've been doing like now is from, um, from here, from the coffers. So well done to you guys, well done to you for your consistency, giving, continue giving and so on. It's making a difference because we can actually do stuff in terms of that. Make sense? Okay. Um, so it must be self-governing, self-financing, um, and also self-propagating. What do we mean by self-propagating? The church plants aren't going to just happen from Centurion, right? This church must also start having its own kids, as it were, where we're sitting down and we're saying, what can the Josie church do? Who are we sending out? Oh, isn't it wonderful, like, if in a couple of years there's a church plant that comes out of here? I know a particular movement that's big on church planting. At one stage, their philosophy was within three years of a church plant, it must also have birthed a, a church. 
We're not going to wait eight years, guys. I'm sure in, in the next three years, we'll be sending out people from here. Some overseas. Kuma <laughs> over. Okay. So some overseas. Yeah. I've seen, uh, uh, yeah, there's some things I can't say, but I'll see certain things and so on. Um, so there must be balance. At the same time, when a church is started, guys, there's stuff we've seen, there's stuff we've done. So a church plant mustn't try to rely on itself for everything. You know what I mean? Sometimes some people are independent uh, they find it difficult asking for help, asking for input. We're saying, no, let's have that balance, you know. If we need to organize external speakers, my gifting is a certain type of gifting. The team's gifting here is a certain type of gifting. We need to sit down and actually say, where are the gaps? Do we sometimes need to do a seminar, but we have a visiting speaker doing it? Do we need to have certain Sunday series, but done by someone from the outside? And you see it's an interdependent sort of situation. Otherwise, sometimes we end up shooting ourselves in the foot because we get isolated and we're limited in terms of the gifts that are here. So on the one hand, we want you to take ownership. On the other hand, we want you to be interdependent where if you need input, you get the input. Some of this input will mean when there's certain things going on in high felt, let's say there's some kind of conference or something, well, let me give you an example. Yeah, let's say there's a conference. Hey, you know what? For this one, we're all going. I've said that to Pastor Michael also. There are things where we can club together. Where otherwise, we're just reinventing the wheel. And often it ends up costing more. Why not just do certain things together? You know? For example, SIPO is going to be organizing some sound uh, training. You know? We're in touch with some of the best guys around in terms of sound. Petru, Yaku, those guys. You know, and we've already said, no, we want, it's available, you know, for the different churches, okay, to get involved in that. When it comes to issues and problems, there should be a place of appeal after having first discussed it locally. So let's say I'm currently pastoring this church, okay? There must never be this thing of like, e, we can't challenge Pastor Paul on this one so there's no one else we can talk to. You know what I mean? If you talk to me and I'm hard-headed about it, you should know who my friends are. You should know that there are people like your Pastor Chooks around. There are other people we relate to. If you feel like, hey, you know what, can you talk to your friend about this? You know what I mean? You shouldn't feel this isolation. And by the way, these are very real issues. There's someone I was coaching the other day and she said to me, there's an issue in our church, you know, we feel like there's this spirit of lust because people have been cheating and so on in the church, etc. Like, you know, when there's someone in the church who's like in praise and worship and all of that, then they have to be stepped down because they're sleeping with this one's husband and this one's husband at the same time type of thing, you know. And it was one of those cases where one of the wives was telling me about it, saying this has happened, you know. Uh, hectic stuff, yeah. And... Um, but this person said to me, but I think in our church there's a spirit of lust because it seems like the founder is up to stuff, you know, came out that he was in, he's having an affair with this 
other person, etc. I said, has it been dealt with? Has he been challenged on it? He says, Paul, how do you do that? How do you challenge this guy who's this founder who's retired already type of thing and so on? So there must never be that. There must never be a thing of we can't challenge something, we can't address something, you know? Um, even concerning one of the pastors, um, they, um, one guy left the church and like, why did you leave? Oh, the pastor was sleeping with my wife, you know? Yeah, the guy basically said that, yeah, no, the, the pastor, how he seems isn't how he really is type of thing. So guys, sadly, in the body of Christ, there's this kind of stuff happening, okay? So we need to be firm concerning how we are living, concerning moral issues. Um, otherwise, it spreads if it's not dealt with, okay? Um, and that's where external input helps. Number eight, unwilling to sacrifice or get uncomfortable. You know what? Sometimes when it comes to church plants, people must be willing to actually move where they live, you know, in terms of location. It's so powerful when you have people saying, okay, we're starting a church, let's say the Val. And then you hear people saying, you know what? We're actually moving houses. We're going to stay close there because that's where the church is going to be. You know, that's very powerful. And you know what saddens me? People relocate because of work. You know, they're like, uh, yeah, we're working now in, in, in the East Rand, so we're moving. But why don't people do it concerning church? When they sacrifice at the start of a church plant, the church plant ends up more powerful, doesn't it? God honors that. He honors that type of sacrifice where people are saying, you know what? For me, my local church is so important. You know, let me actually relocate so that, you know, this thing works. Right? Um, so sometimes it involves, the sacrifice involves moving to an area. Sometimes it involves giving financially, you know. Um, if a church is started by external donations, where we just say, no, we've raised these funds, and now it, that's what's carrying the church, you know what ends up happening? The church never becomes strong in giving. Never becomes strong in giving. Because it's like there'll always be external donors. That's what actually happened to, if you look at the missionaries when they came through to Africa and so on, some of them were great. But the downside is some of them were like, oh, these poor Africans, don't worry. Just give God your loose change. It's okay. You don't earn that much. It's fine. And then you have a lot of these fancy buildings being built, but from funds from overseas. Nothing wrong with that. But teach people to also be part of the giving. Why? Where your treasure is, your heart also is, isn't it? You guys were sowing month in, month out. Have you noticed how you become more interested in, okay, so are we do, what are we doing? What, it's part of ownership, isn't it? Like, oh, new laptop. Okay. Oh, new this. Oh, hey, we've got new speakers. Oh, we've got TV screens. You know, and you'll know that, oh, it's because of, it's partly because of my giving. All right, um, so we don't want a dependency mentality. So let's not apologize. And let me just say something. In a church, you get what you preach. So if we want a certain culture, we have to preach on it. You know what I mean? If we want a culture of tithing, we need to actually do offering messages. I know some people are like, uh, we, don't, we shouldn't have to always do offering messages. Ah, oh, why offering messages? Why do we have to always do offering messages? Very practically, 
to be honest with you, it works. Especially when it becomes a culture. It's not coercion, but people are then taught and it's drilled in week in, week out and so on. It actually works. Churches that preach about giving and generosity and stewardship, they see the fruit of it. Okay? If we teach about godly marriages and so on, we see the fruit of it. If we preach about evangelism, we'll see the fruit of it. We're not going to be an evangelizing church if we're not preaching on it. Okay? Um, number nine, no presence in the area. That's a biggie. If you want to have a strong church, you have to be present in the area. So we can't all be people coming from outside of Joburg or outside of wherever and pitching up, meeting on a Sunday at Vintage Tower and then all leaving. Whatever we do, guys, in all of the stuff we're doing, we have to be visible. The banners, of course, they help. People see that, oh, okay, there's a church meeting here. But beyond that, people must see us leaving. They must see us with um, shirts. You know, we must design shirts. Go Josie or, you know, whatever it's going to be. Right? We've got nice ones coming up in, in um, Highfelt. You know, there must be a presence. People must see us in the malls, in the various places. It's on like, oh, who are these people? This breed of people, diverse people, etc. Okay. We must do outreaches in the community, in the schools. You know, uh, a question I like to ask people is, if your church closes down, I think you've heard this before. If your church closes down tomorrow, what will the community say? Well, they just say, ah, oh, there's more parking space for us. Ah, oh, there's less noise in the neighborhood. You know, or they actually say, oh, those guys have gone. Those happy people. Oh, how's the orphanage going to survive now? You know, what will they say? So we need to be present in the community. Okay. And guys, as time goes by, we'll be setting up various areas saying, okay, you in charge of outreach. What's the outreach strategy? So we're going to get there. Okay. Right now we want to keep the main thing, the main thing, establish something, focus on discipling people. Then as leaders emerge. Pastor Bill taught me something some time back, Bill Scheidler, and he just said, you know what? Don't start departments if you haven't yet got people to lead them. One of the ways we're going to know when it's time to start a certain department is when someone with the capacity and the vision to lead it is there. We just start saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and there's no one carrying it. It'll bomb out. It'll happen there. The first two outreaches then bombs out. Okay. Um, so that was unwilling to sacrifice or get uncomfortable. Number nine, no presence in the area. And then number 10, money matters. A lot of church plants fail because of reliance on money. And the issue is around cash flow. Around cash flow. So sometimes if you decide to um, invest in some fancy venue, the overheads are quite big each month. That's why we have to think through all of these things. I know some people like streaming, so they never have anything nice. I know there's some people who don't like spending a lot, like so and so on, right? But <laughs> so there are extremes in all of this. But the point I'm making is when we start churches, we mustn't overly rely on money. Otherwise, we'll have cash flow issues. Guys, there's so many churches that started, but they're not here today. A high percentage of church plants fail. I mean, they're interesting stats I've seen before, right? 
And when you start, when you get to know people and you have friends and so on, and you're like, what happened? I've got close friends, you know, who started churches recently. The churches have stopped for now at least, you know. So how do we make sure that whatever we're doing is something that's going to last? This is something to think about. Don't overly rely on money because at a certain point, if the church dwindles in size and you've been overly reliant on, we need money for this, 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 you get frustrated as the leader. And then you're like, oh, so we can't meet anymore. This church should thrive even if we can't meet at Vintage Tower. You know? This church should thrive if it means we're just meeting in a house somewhere, you know? But you see, the problem with a lot of people is for them with church, the band has to look like this. So you know what they do, the way they launch their churches? They are hire like 10 musicians. Because you can do that. There are a lot of musicians looking for gigs. <laughs> they are. They're people we know. It's very easy. The guy who was helping out in Pretoria is now available at the moment. It's like, hey guys, I'm you know in, in Pretoria as in um, the university was helping out. Pastor Vim is a pianist. You can hire him. They're singers we know. Don't know how they're all living their lives and so on. We can hire. And it will look good. Nice, like, you know, no discords, nothing. You know? But it costs. So are we going to just spend money on anything and everything just as long as the show goes on? Now, people who do that, that's up to them. I'm not judging that. Okay, there's some people who do what we call launching big. But you know what the danger of launching big is? Expectations are high. That's what's been found. So when you do a massive big launch, people pitch up and they now expect there's a strong counseling center also in your church. You know, there's a men's ministry, women's ministry, there's this, there's that, etc. We're saying, you know what, guys, we like the organic approach. That's how we're starting churches. Okay. And life is arrived at in stages. And there's, there's no pressure. There might be movers and shakers in the church world who are saying, yeah, no, we're visiting. Yeah, we'll be coming to support you. You know, because I get some of the WhatsApps and so on. It's like, you know, and you have to guard your heart, you know, because it's like, oh, so-and-so will be there. Oh, so-and-so will be there. I have to guard my heart, you know. I'm not going to change my message. just going to do what we're going to do. Not going to suddenly change like, oh, we must now get this. And have we got this? And let's do this. Otherwise, what happens is it's easy to obtain, but more difficult to maintain. And just watch out for people when they join a church also. Hey? High maintenance people are very dangerous. If someone joins a church and I have to change everything I do just to get them in, it's going to be a lot of effort to keep them. Because those are the same people who will complain about everything. Why isn't your children's ministry like this? But where we were at, it was like this. But then we have these. Why don't you have this? You know, happens a lot. Well, we are what we are. This is where we're at right now. Okay. So that's a biggie. Um, number 11, not building on the gifts present. This is a big, big, big one. When we start a church, we have to understand that God has brought the people who are currently here and a powerful way of growing a church is actually building on the current gifts. So, for example, if there are people who are strong in counseling, 
Let's build on that. Because that's how people be roped into the church, you know? We'll say, oh, Vim is strong on counseling. Sunera is strong on counseling. Cool, guys, we'll send you on this course, this course, this course. We'll do this. Let's have a counseling ministry because we've got people who are passionate about it. All of a sudden, we start seeing the church growing that way, that ah, all these ladies are being counseled, emotional healing is happening and so on, and they've joined the church. Does that make sense? If we've got a whole lot of people who are interested in business and entrepreneurship, let's do the business seminars. That's what we're into. We've got people who love connecting people business-wise. We've got people who like networking business-wise. I think quite a number of us here are like that. Let's build on what we have. And that's, that's a biggie. So is it counseling? Is it baking? Is it hospitality? Okay. The mistake a lot of churches make is that we build around what we average at. So we're like, what does the perfect church have? And we come up with a list of things and then we try to do that, but we, we're useless at it. Let's do what we're good at. If it means starting boot camp, because that's what Sean is good at and is good at motivating people to get into that, let's do it. Let's do boot camp. Let's look, at, look for places like in that Fairlands area or wherever it is, and we just get a group of people, you know, who are into boot camp. Okay? Maybe there'll be a men's one and a women's one. Sean is passionate about men. A number of the guys here, you know, they're passionate about exercise and they're passionate about men. You know what I mean? They've got a thing about ministering to men. So let's do that. Does that make sense, guys? Building around the gifts that are there. Okay. Spiritual gift surveys are good. Okay. Um, it's good to do that and we'll do that sometime soon. Um, so often the gift mix that is present in a team is indicative of what we should actually do. You can try and start a church and you're thinking this is what we must do. Then you see the crew that's there and you realize, that, guys, it's obvious we mustn't do that. We just try. Yeah, let's, let's rather go another route. <laughs> okay. Um, number 12 is a similar one. Church plants fail because we don't go where the life is. What do we mean about where the life is? Where God's favor is. Where's God's hand? And you see it, hey? You see it. If we do a business seminar, for example, in Josie, and crowds come for that, okay? But then we try to do something else because we feel it's very important and only two people pitch up. But whenever we do a business seminar, crowds come. You know what I mean? It's like you don't have to be a rocket scientist. Mm -hmm. And for some people, by the way, it can seem unspiritual, but for some people they'll only come to church for a business seminar. They won't just come straight to a service. That's the closest they'll come to church is when you say, we're doing a business seminar. So sometimes when we do these seminars, it's an outreach tool. You know? And then after a while, guys like, hey, but I think I can make friends with people in this church. Hey, there's some juicy things that I learned from, uh, from Ishe about the IT industry. Huh? Hey, the number of these IT techies around. Mm. Yeah, I think I'll connect with them. I'm not a spiritual guy. I'm not good at praying. But yeah, I think I'll connect with them. Okay. Um, number 13, not understanding transitions. And this is a biggie. So what's the timing in terms of certain things? What's going to cause growth at the different stages? You know, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but businesses will grow for different reasons. 
at different stages. So initially when a business starts, it's usually growth due to creativity. There's a creative entrepreneur starting it up. Then afterwards you see that not, the creativity thing isn't gonna keep working. We've got a lot of ideas, it's now growth due to direction. Then afterwards it's growth due to coordination. We now have to coordinate all these departments. Then it's growth due to collaboration. And I think it's similar with a church. You can't, you, uh, six months into this church plant, we can't still have church plant mode. You know, there's church plant mode that people get into, okay? Um, so it's something for us to just think about the different transitions that the church is going to go through. Um, there are times with the church in Highfelt where we would say, you know what, we're now in a stage of multiplication. Do you remember those days and we'd preach about that? We need to multiply. Other times we'd be like, you know what, this is a season of consolidation. I'd sit down with my wife and I'd be thinking, maybe we should start this, maybe we should do this. Oh, no, no, no. We must just consolidate, you know? There'll be other times when we'd feel like we need to pour into the leadership. We need to pour into the leadership. And then we feel, then we'll start leadership things, okay? Um, that's, where, that's where we started, um, not this round of meat, but remember Sola. Some of you remember Sola. Like, it was like our Bible school. And there was that season. And remember the first round of Sola, like there were lots of people and so on. But what tends to happen with our church at a certain point, it's like numbers then dwindle. And then we're like, okay, moving right along. What's the next thing? <laughs> and that's where we need wisdom because sometimes we need to just push on and keep doing the thing. Other times we need to say, you know what, guys, we're flogging a dead horse here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's try something else. Um, I just want to say something. My previous point was about going where the life is. Something linked to that, guys, is... You know, when you run a small group, the mistake we made when we started Go Church in Centurion, I think that I multiplied the first Go group prematurely. So we had a Go group in, um, in Eldorain. But because of my heart in terms of raising up leaders, I then was like, cool, you guys start this one there and you guys start this, start this one there. So it multiplied like about two or three ways. And something was lost somewhere there. You know, a couple of the people who were, were leading those groups, they subsequently left the church. I'm not, not necessarily in a bad way or anything, but, you know, they, they subsequently left the church and so on. And I remember sometimes some of the stuff I was teaching in the original group, I kind of felt it would be good if we're still all together. So all I just want to say to you guys is whether it's Josie Fridays or the group um, at, at Sean's place and so on, just be careful how quick you multiply because sometimes it can kill the dynamic. What I've also seen happens is sometimes in a group, people feed off each other. So you'll find there's a dynamic and a connection between Sean and uh, Tso. And it's very key. And on the, on the week where Tso is not there, the group is different. You know what I mean? And sometimes when we multiply certain groups, we lose that dynamic. So let's be sensitive. Let's not get overexcited and just say, we're now starting five small groups. Then you find that the one of them has only got one person who pitches up. Or sometimes it's just the husband and wife who meet by themselves type of thing. You know, you're like, what happened? And then people get discouraged. Okay, I'm just... <laughs> okay. Um, 
Number 14, not birthing the church in the spirit. Not birthing the church in the spirit. We can do a lot of practical things, a lot of strategic things, but in the spirit we have to plow. Joburg has there are a lot of territorial spirits, giants in the spirit realm that we have to deal with. So guys, we need a culture of prayer. Okay? Um, and Pastor Vim will help us a lot with that. That's one of her main passions. But we have to birth the church in the spirit through breakthrough prayer, through warfare. And that's why we're saying from February onwards, we will have Ignite here also. You know, because, oh, no, it's, it's, yes, because we're a church plant, we need to birth things in the spirit. Okay. Otherwise, what tends to happen with a lot of churches is you're like, but the messages are powerful. The worship was great. The ashes are really awesome. We've got a nice community, but there's no power. So there's a link between prayer and power. And the type of church we're building is a church where we want miracles. We want signs and wonders. We want the dynamic of the spirit. We don't just want the word, we want the spirit. We don't just want the spirit, we want the word. Right? And one of the things people has, have liked about Go Church is that combo. It's like, hey, these guys seem very thorough in terms of how they interpret scripture, how they unpack verses. Sipo was teasing me in the car coming here, saying, we know with you, like, hey, with verses, you don't even finish like the verse. You just be wanting to unpack that word and so on. So they know that about us, but um, they also know that we're into, you know, we'll go for it. We're charismaniacs in that sense. A lot of places where they've got the spirit, the word is shallow. Then a lot of places where the word is strong, we don't see the manifestation of the spirit. So we want to carry both. Okay. Um, something that's powerful in terms of warfare isn't just our praying for breakthrough. It's also what's called servant warfare. Um, it's a form of evangelism also. It's where we basically say we're going to serve the community. So some people will actually do outreaches where they say we're going to wash people's cars. You know, we're going to actually do a car wash thing. There's a thing Pastor Chooks, uh, my friend, did, you know, where they did a, uh, an outreach thing, but it was a car wash thing. We'll wash your cars. They actually gave out things advertising it. And one of the strategies they were using was that because they said it's easy to then preach to people or speak to them in terms of the gospel, when you're washing their car, because they're stuck there, you know, they can't, it's like they say, my car is being washed, I have to watch it while it's being washed, I can't just go somewhere else and so on, so you've got, you've got a captive audience, but servant warfare is where we basically say, how can we serve this community? You know, I'm excited about what uh, Pastor Michael is doing, a door is open in one of the schools, uh, down the road from where the church is uh, in Pretoria East. So he first went there because they wanted him to speak on diversity. Okay. Uh, it's amazing how the whole thing happened, actually, just the testimony. Um, and so, so he went, and then the door opened further where they then said, uh, can you now speak to our students on this thing at assembly? Then from there it was, can you speak to the grade 12 parents, the parents of the grade 12s on this thing. And he was just getting good feedback, good feedback, good feedback, you know. So there'll be times when this kind of thing happens with us, you know. Sometimes there are doors that open for me 
and then I know that this isn't for me. Like in that situation, that first asked me, they knew me from another context. Can you come in? Can you do a diversity thing in our school? But I knew this is a Michael thing. Can Michael go and do it? He does it. He loves it. And all those doors. And I said, it's a door within a door within a door. Okay. So let's believe God for that kind of thing. Okay. Um, number 15, wrong motives. Church plants fail because of wrong motives. This is where people are there for the wrong reasons, okay? So sometimes people just say, we're looking for a new adventure, or uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But ask yourself, why are we part of this? Sometimes people are like, eh, I didn't like the, the pastor from, you know, the previous place, you know? That's why when the Pretoria East Church started, Michael had to be firm with people in terms of like, are you in a good space? Why don't you want to be in Highfelt? Why are you moving to Pretoria East? Because what we're doing is the same thing here. So if you've got an issue with Pastor Paul, it's like you, then you've got an issue with me. You know what I mean? It's, it's that kind of thing. Um, so, so that's important. Um, sometimes people get bored where they were before and then they get this itch. So then they come, especially entrepreneurial people. Entrepreneurial people like church plants. Off, you know, a lot of times. So it's not like, cool, we're starting this thing. But two years down the line, ah, what's the next project? <laughs> you know? Now the thing is, there's nothing wrong with that. Because some people are scaffolding, hey? They, they're there in this season to help us build. But at a certain point, they might move on. So as leaders, we have to be aware, what's the scaffolding? And then who's here as a pillar that's going to remain? And we must we mustn't hold people tightly. We must just be open hands and not judge people. You'll find people coming and they're very enthusiastic. 18 months later, they move on. Don't be quick to judge them. Say, he's not committed like we are. You know what I mean? Because they're, they're scaffolding. We appreciate what they did while they were around. Okay? Um, the, the 16th thing that causes church plants to fail is offense. Okay. Sometimes we're offended because the scaffolding person goes. Okay. Sometimes someone's original intention changes and we're offended. Or maybe we thought the church plant would look like this, but then it now looks like that. Do you know that it's been found that a lot of times with church plants, after two years, like two years into the church plant, a lot of the people who were there at the start aren't there anymore. Some people it's relocation, but for, for, for other people it's a lot of things. Number one, they're not as close to the pastors as they were when the church was started. That, that's, a, that's a biggie. Because when we're small, we all know each other. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, Justin, do you need a lift? Yeah, okay, cool, let's cruise. I'll do... Now what happens when there are many more people? And guys, this happened, eh? The church in Highfelt. I remember when Pastor Michael joined the church. Because the church started in April and Michael and Fadzai joined in about August. And we connected, saw the gift in him, began to raise him up. I remember one guy who since left a long time ago, in, relocated to another city, etc. But I remember one guy basically saying, some of us feel like it seems like 
you know, those of us who were there from the start, you know, we're not being used in certain ways and other people have come and they're doing this and they're doing that. Okay, so we have to be careful of selfish ambition, you see. So guys, I'm just warning you, there will be people who come after you. And yes, right now we're here and it's like, cool, we're the main guys and so on. Okay, guard your heart, guard your heart. There will be people who will come after you and maybe, maybe um, I click with them more than I click with you. Or maybe they've got more time on their hands than you have and they're able to do more things. So let's not be those people, you know, like in some organizations, some people think promotion is based on longevity. You know, those people will say, I've been here for 17 years and I'm not yet a senior manager. <laughs> With one organization that I coach at one of the banks, they were just explaining that, you know, like to go from senior manager to exec, it's actually quite a leap. They said to me, Paul, it's quite a leap. So the head guy said that to me. He says, there's some people who think that when you're a senior manager, if you've been doing that for some time, you, at some point you graduate into being an executive, you know? But they're saying there has to be a post for that. You know what I mean? There has to be an actual position. You don't just like become an exec. But the point I'm making is it's the same also in church settings. I think you guys get that, eh? Okay. Um, so don't be offended when people go. Um, don't be quick to judge people. Offense can affect the church health, okay? In church plants, people are offended by many things. Sometimes they can be offended by failure to achieve the result, and then they're offended with God, eh? Like even as a pastor, I have to guard my heart because I've been telling everyone, ah, Joburg, you'll see Joburg exploding. Yeah, you know, because Joburg, hey, you know what I'm sensing? And then, and then, and then my wife, who teaches on the prophetic, I remember we were driving back from Drakensberg and I was saying certain things and I just said, you know what I'm sensing, my love? I'm sensing this about this year and so on. Then she says to me, do you mean just sensing or sensing prophetically? A prophetic sense or sensing, pro or just sensing? Feeling sensing, guys. <laughs> then you have a discussion around that. Then I got her back recently when she used the word sensing and I'm like, sensing a prophetic sense or feeling... Anyway, uh, but the point is, um, don't be offended with God. It's God who makes it grow. We just have to do our bit. Yes, we're excited now, but will we be offended with God if we see that we're not growing as quick as we wanted to? Number 17, not enough leaders. Not enough leaders. A lot of church plants fail because they don't have enough leaders. I was telling Pastor Michael and I was just saying, you know what? Um, when the Pretoria East Church started, there were a lot of people who had been pew warmers. But they had to up their game when they then started. You know what I mean? But when they then started Pretoria East. But I said the unique thing about the Joburg Church is almost everyone that's in the church plant team was very active in Centurion and it makes a difference guys you can't trade this in for anything like the quality that's here uh, to be honest with you I don't I don't I've never done I've done a number of church plants and I don't think I've ever done a church plant with this level of quality <laughs> and I'm not just saying it I'm not just saying it 
Pastor Vim, you've been involved in most of the church plants we've been involved in, hey? In terms of the level of quality. And it makes it, it just makes it easy. There's a humility, there's a brokenness, there's a not getting offended quickly. Uh, unless you guys just keep stuff in your heart or something. <laughs> <laughs> unless there are conversations that happen at home. Honey, I've got this thing. You know what Pastor Paul said? I'm really offended. And then your wife is there encouraging you, comforting you, saying, no, don't worry, love. It's okay. Just be faithful. This is, maybe this is our cross to bear. <laughs> um, so, so we're very blessed. So when you don't have enough leaders, it's very difficult to have a church plant. It's very difficult to have a church plant. Remember that um, a lot of church plants, because you are reaching unsaved people, right? What tends to happen is you've got a lot of people who are baby Christians who are there in the church plant. And on the one hand, yes, we want to reach the unsaved, but we also need mature people so that we can actually start new departments. You can't start a whole lot of new departments with baby Christians. Okay, so there has to be a balance. Um, this is not just administrative, but also pastoral and teaching at a high level. You know, a lot of church plants fail because you don't have a strong teachers of the word. Well into some church plants, I've got pastors, friends of mine, who will say, Pastor Paul, I'm going to be away on Sunday. Can you come and preach for me? Because I don't have anyone strong enough in our church to preach. Now, for us, that's not normal. I mean, one of the reasons we don't have a lot of guest speakers is not because there aren't any. It's partly because we've got a lot of good teachers in the church that I have to be giving opportunity to. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I feel like I'm a bit like uh, Oli uh, Gunnar Solskjaer, the new manager for Manchester United. You know, where he's like, you know, I've got all these good players and I have to give them a chance, you know, have to give them. So we rotate. <laughs> On. No, because that is, the, that is the reality. I go through where I'm saying, okay, there has to be a leader. I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, in terms of series. We can't have like a different person each Sunday because that also affects the church. It's like we're doing this because we all have different styles. But at the same time, there are a lot of good people that we need to be grooming. So there's a balance. Does that make sense? Okay. But I've got friends who literally who are like, I even know someone who actually as a philosophy, has now stopped having people from his own church preaching. Because I don't know if he thinks that they will try and take the church from him or sway people or something. It sounds crazy, but a lot of people have been, a lot of senior pastors have been wounded. So you'll find that they'll only invite people to preach in their church if, if the person is from outside the city. They won't invite someone from the same city. Because they'll be thinking this person will, people will want to go to that person's church. You know, again, real issues. Um, so, yeah. In reaction to transfer growth, we often like to start churches with lots of unchurched people. But remember the downside of this. Okay. Yes, it's great to have unchurched people, unsaved people, but you also need leaders. Okay. Uh, number 18, no critical mass. What do I mean by critical mass? 
You know, there's a momentum that builds when there's a critical mass of people and you reach that critical mass. So with a lot of our church plants, what we found, for example, the Centurion one, launch day, 110 people. You know, you have well-wishers, friends, and so on. The Sunday, the second Sunday, right, in 2010 that we were running, it went down to 54. That's why whoever's ushering, guys, let's count, eh? It's good to count so that we can have these stats. And then the following Sunday after that, I think it was about 43 people, like adults. And that's where we stayed for a few months, on about 43, before we started growing. So guys, again, just to warn you, so that people don't get overexcited, Sunday we'll have all sorts of people coming. Well wishes. If you ask more than two questions deep, some of them are cousins, sisters-in-law, and so on, okay? They won't be coming the following Sunday, okay? So let's not plan around that. You know, if you see like 60 people, 70 people, don't be like, oh, we need more help in children's ministry. Oh, yeah, and then we need to organize this, and we need more seats. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> Sonera, did you hear that? All right, don't worry, guys. The following Sunday, it might be half the people. And I'm saying this so that... It, it, we, the following Sunday, Sunday the 10th, um, there isn't that, what do you call it? Uh, Anticlimax. You know, when it's kind of like, what happened? Didn't they like the message? People have said to me, even on WhatsApp, we'll be coming to support you. We're looking forward to visiting with you. You know, when people come to church, they want you to know they're visiting. It's funny, like they'll greet you and I'll be like, nice to see you guys. Yes, we thought we would visit. Did you get it? Visit. We thought we would visit because it's fine. It's cool. Okay. So, so we, need critical, we need critical mass that also helps financially. Okay. When you have that critical mass of people. Um, momentum helps a lot and it also encourages the leaders. Okay. However, there's a lot that happens in the life of a church that is unseen. Okay. So we're seeing maturity develop in a lot of people, even without the numbers all the time. So sometimes God wants to go deep first before he goes wide. And we must be open to that, okay? So patience is important in church plants. It's up to us to be very prayerful, to be saying, Lord, what are you wanting to build? What roots are you wanting to build in us? Number 19, fatigue and burnout. Often this stems from a works mentality, that pressure to perform, or lack of self-awareness to know what your limitations are. Yes, pastor, I'll do it. Yes, pastor. I would rather you have boundaries, healthy boundaries, where you say, you know what, uh, pastor, I think, you know what, we just want to do a few things well. We just want to focus on this for now. We've got a young family. Um, I know I'm very passionate, but my wife balances me out, and I think, yeah, we should just focus on this area for now. That's okay. Okay? That's fine. Otherwise, guys, I'm telling you, after 18 months, there's fatigue. Okay? We want to build churches that last. It's like running a marathon. So today I was doing my 10Ks. So I did 10Ks, but I knew that as I started out, my wife has taught me well. Because guys tend to start out too quickly, especially if you're a sprinter or you're just overconfident. And now I'm pacing myself. Just lock in to that particular average pace. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. And then I stopped my thing 
at 10 Ks. I could have gone on further. Do you know what I mean? But I then stopped. And church plants are like that. It's long distance. It's not, um, it's not a sprint. How many of you were sprinters? Yes, do we know? <laughs> Your son will say, I've got it in my jeans. Okay. So you all got that. So it's, it's a marathon. Um, something I've also had to learn, even with messages. One of the reasons why I tend to preach long messages, I was telling the guys in the car, and I'm trying to scale down a bit. Um, but but it's I get this FOMO. I honestly get this FOMO where I'm like, I have to tell the people this this week because, you know, some of them might not be there next week and I have to tell them this story and then I have to, it's this thing I've got. But I also have to now remind myself that, you know what, Paul, you'll have these people for a long time. It's okay, it can wait. That, that illustration you want to use, you can use it in two weeks' time. You can use it in three weeks' time, okay? I get the hint, guys. I can see by all the laughs. I get the hint. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, so, number 20, the challenges of bivocational setups where we don't have someone full-time, okay? Sunera has come on board and she pretty much is working half days. Okay, at a certain point, she's going to be out of action for obvious reasons. Okay, <laughs> right. But the point, the point is a lot of the churches we've started don't start off with people who are actually working there. You know, this church plant has been so much easier than a lot of other church plants because we've got someone who's dedicated helping coordinating stuff, you know, and there's lots in the background, right? So... Yes, it's good to be bifurcational, but at a certain point, it's good to also have people who are hands-on actually working for the church, you know? And sometimes we sit down and we say, my wife and I, we've managed to do all of this without full-time people. Because we're all, I don't know if, if you guys know my world, I'm not twiddling my thumbs like during the week. If you ask people who talk to me, those of you who talk to Pastor Vim, Sunni, during the course of the week and so on, often I'm back-to-back -back coaching, mm -hmm. literally, right? Um, and I remember Pastor James once saying to me, do you know that what you're doing is not normal? Like pastoring churches at the scale you are and doing the amount of consulting you're doing, not many people can do that, okay? So I think it's just something to be aware of. At a certain point, let's believe God. Let's believe God for people who, for the finances firstly, but for people who are available to basically say, we want to serve. So, you know, full-time, and you know, you know what I'm saying, we're all full-time, but full-time isn't the time fully. Okay? Um, yeah? Um, yeah? I'm, I'm basically talking about someone where their actual job, their vocation, um, like, like how you've got your time at your job, they are like that in terms of the church, right? But now we've had to have wisdom around that uh, all these years because I could have said, let me go full time, right? Um, but I knew that I could do what I was doing in terms of teaching, preaching, counseling people and so on, but we needed administrators, 
you know? Hence, remember, there was a season we had Maggie Isaacs. It's her birthday today, by the way, for those who don't know. Then there was another season we had Nikki, okay? Um, so if you can only afford one salary, like where you're paying, out some, uh, paying someone, you then have to have wisdom to say, what are the critical areas where we actually need someone? For some people, they're like, we need a pastor who's full-time. That's fine. But the thing is, when you're a full-time pastor, uh, a lot of the times when you want to be past, you know, counseling people and things like that, they're all at work. Do you know what I mean? I'm just being honest. So what's powerful about being full-time as a pastor, like someone who does teaching, preaching, counseling, and so on, what's powerful about that is you have a lot of time in the word and prayer. Like if I was completely full-time, I mean... Um, I don't know if you guys have seen like when I'm on holiday or something or you can see I've got a week where I'm off and so on. If you ask people like Vim, etc., then the amount of stuff that I generate, it's a lot. You know, it's like, then you don't hear me for a few days because I'm back at work, you know. So it just depends how you're wired. Yeah. Um, so number... 21, lack of cross-cultural gifting kills a church. Church planters have to be friendly people. Church planters have to be people that can connect with people that are different. If you're the kind of person who can only speak to one type of person or one grouping and so on, church doesn't grow. And remember, I've always said the first 10 people you start a church with determine your next 100. So guys, as this church starts, we have to be so intentional to reach out to people that are not like us, you know? Because I promise you it affects the demographic of a church, you know? And I think what's nice for the most part in terms of us guys here is we are like that, you know? We've got friends from different backgrounds. We can connect with different people and so on. And if you struggle with that, then, um, yeah, just be honest about it and get whatever help you need, okay? Um, you end up with a homogenous church or an irrelevant church, okay? As opposed to what Paul did, you know, where he said, you know what, I'm connecting with the Greek now, and he would speak to them in a certain way, you know? They were thinkers. He would do the whole poetry thing, quoting their poets, etc. Then he'd say, when I'm with, Ro in, with the Romans, I, I'm like the Romans, you know, when I'm in Rome. He had that way. Let's not become those people who are overly culturally rigid. You know, those people who've got a very set way of doing things, okay? And let's not make assumptions about certain people. So if you meet someone who's white and Afrikaans, don't assume the person is racist or the person will struggle with you. Because very often, you will then have someone who's white and Afrikaans and they're like a Meraki. You know what I mean? Mm. Or they're like um, John, as in Samantha's John. I remember when they came to our church, you know, I thought to myself, because, you know, with a lot of white people, they'll sort of come for a few weeks. We love your message. We love your message. Oh, this is really great. But you don't see them afterwards. You're like, cool, what happened? Okay. Um, but the point is, I remember with John, I was also wondering, and then I actually asked him, I said, how do you feel like you, you know, like being in a church with, you know, the other people? And he said something interesting to me. He actually said, um, it's actually quite nice for us, actually, because at work and in our family settings, we're around white people a lot, so it's a nice change. You know what I mean? So there are a lot of people who are just wired differently. 
<laughs> you know? Um, so these are things for us to think about, but we have to have strong cross-cultural gifting. That's actually a, a missionary gift where you're able to deal with other cultures, okay? Um, and sometimes it's just about learning how do I greet you in your language, you know? Sometimes the things someone wants to just hear, especially if you do door greeting, they just want you to say something in their language. I mean, it'll be English the rest of the service, but it's like, oh, he knows, he remembers. Um, Smongile was very good at this. Smongile, Lysias Smongile. There was a time when someone visited our church and she spoke, it wasn't one of the, the big languages, you know, with lots of people. It was like Tsonga. And I said, how did you guys connect? Is everything fine? I said, yeah, she spoke to me in Tsonga. She spoke, and this person was just blown away. And it's basic things that we can learn. Number 22, wrong location. This is sometimes a mystery, the location thing, because there's some outliers. There's some outliers. There's some people who are in a bad location, but the third church is just thriving. But to do that, you usually have to have something extremely unique about your church, like exceptional miracles that happen there. Then it doesn't matter where you are. You can literally, I mean, if you think about Prophet Corbus those days, you know, in Stillfontaine, I mean, <laughs> you know, Stillfontaine, right? And people would drive there, thousands of people going there. Right? But let me tell you something. If you're just an ordinary church planter wanting to plant a church and you go to some doop in some like around the corner somewhere, unless God has given you a special revelation of being there, you know, it, it might not take off. Right? Um, in a city like Johannesburg, generally speaking, people are drawn to residential areas. Generally speaking. Okay? People don't want to feel like they're going to an industrial area for church. Just think about yourself and so on in terms of driving, etc. You know, you don't typically want to go, feel like you're going back to work. Okay, that's, that's the one thing. Uh, generally speaking, people want to be in a residential area. Sometimes it's actually better to have a dingy venue in a good location than a fancy building in a horrible location. Okay, when it comes to church plants. So guys, location, location, location. And I'm sharing with you this so that, because we're going to outgrow this soon. Vintage Tower, that's the reality, isn't it? We're going to outgrow it. You'll see, you'll see on Sunday, and you'll see what happens with the launch, just that momentum, where it's like, oh, 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 oh. And remember, we used to pastor in Joburg, hey? You know our setup. We came down in 2005, and we planted a church in Joburg, right? It exploded. And start, then started the Pretoria one, right? And uh, we pastored it for two and a half years, okay? Now we're not looking for those people or whatever. Some of those people, when we left, some of them since floated, didn't fully settle in places. Some of them actually went to other churches, but have never felt fully at home. So when they've now heard that we're in Joburg, some of them are wondering, are we moving back? Are we moving houses? going back to Job, people are just wondering and so on. So guys, we're going to outgrow that venue very soon. And when we start looking for the next place, and venues are not easy to find in Joburg, let's just bear that in mind. It's better to have a not so good looking venue in a brilliant location than having a fancy place in a bad location. Okay. It must be easy for people to get there. What's nice about this place right now is just off the highway. Easy to get get to and to explain to people. 
Um, you can be gifted in so many ways, perfect ashes, perfect music, and so on. But because you're in the wrong location, the church plant doesn't work well. Number 23, reactionary theology and philosophy. What do we mean by reactionary theology? It's where you used to go to a particular church and you didn't like what was done there. And because of that hurt or that wound, now you start preaching the opposite of that. You go the other extreme. Do you know what I mean? So you used to go to a church where they were big on the man of God syndrome and honor and that kind of thing. And then you go the other extreme now when you plant the church where you're like, no, we're not into that. So everyone is dishonoring each other, you see. Or you used to go to a church where it was the black suit brigade and everyone was like always in a suit, even when it's like hot in church and so on. And now you say, you <laughs> vow, when I start my church and now everyone is in Bermudas, in slops, in, you know. Michael laughed actually, Pastor Michael laughed when he saw the photo of you guys you know, the day when we sent you out and so on. He was like, yeah, this is going to be the new style shorts because Ishe was wearing shorts, Sean was wearing shorts, there were a couple of guys in shorts, so like, oh, this is the Jobic thing. The point I'm just making is, so we mustn't do things in a reactionary way. If you are forced to dress smart when you're growing up in terms of church and then now you're anti-anything like a suit in church, you know? Um, we just have to be careful about that. Um, don't be reactionary in your theology. If you came from a church that was very big on, on legalism and the law and so on, don't go the other extreme where everything is like just loose and anything goes. Just stay true to the word. In parenting, we call it compensation parenting. I remember once meeting this particular lady and she said, um, I said to her, so are you... How do you discipline your kids? Do you have boundaries for them? And she said, no, we, we, we do boundaryless parenting. You know, we don't have boundaries. You know, and I said, were your kids, when you were a child, were your parents strict? Yes, Paul, my parents were very strict. That's why with my kids, we don't give them boundaries. We let them discover things on their own. Okay. That's an example of compensation parenting. You go the other extreme. Um... Yeah, often we throw the baby out with the bathwater, unfortunately. And then finally, number 24, sweating the small stuff. This causes church plants to fail. When we sweat the small stuff, we major on the minors. You know people who major on the minors? So, for example, they get so particular about, this is the dress code for church. We must all dress like this, and it's a big thing. There's a church like that in the States. They're on the coast, I think the west coast somewhere there. And all the elders in the church would be like the black suit brigade. But the people they were reaching out to were like your surfer type people. And they would pitch up like with slops and, you know, uh, and, and, and uh, shorts and stuff. So, so there wasn't a cultural fit, you see. There was a cultural cash, clash between the leaders and the people coming to the church. Because... Sometimes we sweat the small stuff. So what we say to people is, don't major on the minors. Keep the main thing the main thing. Guys, with this church, don't be derailed with debates about this and this and this. You, seriously, you'll find people coming to the church who come from those places where they've been in a church where I've seen.
seen it happening with church plants. Like someone will come and will say, why do we only have communion once, once a month? And then they've got a special revelation around communion. We came from a church where we would have it every Sunday because it's communion, it's the Lord's table and they'll have some explanation. And then now there's a the big debate and then it distracts us. One of the things Dick Iverson used to say was make the basics beautiful, right? And how you make the basics beautiful is things like rebuild. People must be attracted to that. They mustn't think, oh, this is just like arbitrary foundation stuff. There must be something in us that likes it. You know what I mean? That makes people excited about it and so on. So let's not sweat the small stuff. Let's be flexible. Let's be flexible. In all of these points, guys, let's remember that it's a mystery. There's something about the church that's a mystery. You know what I mean? Because we can have all these as nice tips, things I've learned over the years and so on. But sometimes we just need to stick to what Dr. David Yonghe Cho said. You know, he used to be Paul Yonghe Cho and then he, the Lord said, you must change your name. Changed it to David. Why would someone change the name from Paul to David? Anyway, my, big <laughs> my, my big brother is called David. Anyway, but the point is, he just said, you know, people said, what's the key to your growth? You know, because for many years he had, he had the largest church in the world, it's on in South Korea. And he just said, I pray and I obey. That was his key. I pray and I obey. So with all of this, let's pray and let's obey. If God says, do this, let's run with it. That's where the life will be. Okay. Thanks, guys. I wanted to record this for posterity. So I know I've spoken for a long time. But you know what? At least... People who will come after you, who will be part of this team, they will benefit from this.